Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Go bet with MyBookie. Sign up at MyBookie.ag. And use promo code Gators, and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Bet with my bookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight, Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. And also joining us is Olivia Graniola, and you can find some of her work also at readandreaction.com. Will, Olivia, thanks for joining us here. And this is uh, Olivia's debut episode, Will. Yeah, well, it's it's good to have her here. We're uh, you know we're we're adding to the staff at uh, at Read and Reaction. Certainly, um, people who have things that are unique to say are people that I'm looking for, and Olivia has proven to do that. And I'm excited to see what she's going to come up with coming up later in the year. All right, uh, Olivia, a little bit of uh, you can explain uh, your background of uh, your your connection to Florida, uh, covering Florida, and all that good stuff. All right, so I'm Olivia, and I'm super excited that this is my first episode on Gators Breakdown. Um, I'm a junior at Florida, and I'm studying telecommunications, and there's not like a specific sports track, but there's like a sports uh, section, and I definitely do a lot in the sports section. I cover almost every Gator sport in some way, shape, or form. If it's not for Florida, it's for CBS. If it's not for CBS, it's for ESPNU. I mean, I just I just do it all day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. We'll be sure right now we'll look back at LSU and uh, talk about the excitement around the program after the big win of Florida beat number five LSU and then a look ahead to Vanderbilt as well. But before we do that, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jacks sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, catch Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and now on Spotify. When using their services, please share, rate, and review the show. And when you're on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, excitement's around this program right now. It's, it's been a while. The swamp felt like the swamp again, and the Gators are the talk of uh, college football nation right now. Uh, Will, you and I, you know, we, we've had to share – sad story after sad story for a while now 
haven't really got a chance to to discuss a team where there is this much legit excitement behind the team. Yeah, you know, I went back and sort of looked at what what I'd written and what we talked about last year after the LSU game, and it was sort of a, a fourth quarter where Florida just couldn't get anything going. They had three drives at the end down by a point and just couldn't really move the ball, and, and Franks looked disheveled, and the offense looked out of sync, and McIlwain was moping after the game and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, blaming his players for lack of execution, I think, after the A&M game, but sort of the same general feel after the LSU game, and, and certainly this game felt a whole lot better. That was a heck of an answer by Florida in the fourth quarter to uh, to take the lead after LSU driven right down the field, and it's a different feel. That's certainly true, and and uh, you know I'm very very impressed by what Mullen and Grantham and the players have done. It's been really really impressive to see them get better each and every week, and and really sort of see them bringing the fun back to Gainesville again. Olivia, what's the uh, what's the feel around campus after this big win? Okay, so I was actually on the sideline for this game, and it was not even joking, the best game I've ever been to. And every single person I've talked to was like, wow, that was the best game I've ever been to. So usually at UF, the student section is depleted. There's not that many people there, especially if it's, even if it's for a big game like LSU last year. I mean, I left at halftime and everybody else kind of left with me. But this time, I don't, I didn't even see anyone leaving before the very end of the game. I mean, just the whole feel, it was so loud. I had to cover my ears at one point. And it was just, it was just such, an amazing feeling for kind of the first time ever besides last year against Tennessee like I can't really think of another thing that even came close to it yeah so uh a couple of days after you know this is Monday the first school uh day of school since the game is there is 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 it still the talk of campus I'm pretty sure it is um yeah it definitely is I mean my Twitter is flooded with oh Felipe Franks for Heisman I mean you know obviously <laughs> never won a Heisman trophy but I mean it's the effort that counts. And I'm seeing all these GIFs, GIFs, I don't know how you say it, of Mullen, like, dancing around and being super fun. And like Will said, kind of McElwain was like, oh, like, it's the player, it's the players. Well, Mullen takes responsibility for everything, good and bad. And it's just such a fun thing to see when the coach is so integrated in the school. I just, it's it's amazing. You know, it's interesting. We, we've... I, we've talked a lot, Dave, about the idea that a lot of the guys that Mullen's recruiting don't remember when Florida was good under Urban Meyer, but you don't really think about that the students there are in the same boat, and that a lot of the people Olivia's age and younger don't remember times when Florida was winning national championships, or at least wasn't invested in, weren't invested in Florida at the time when they were winning those sorts of titles. So I think Mullen made some comments at his press conference about sort of you know, making sure that everybody understood how important the game was in the stands. And, and certainly the fans showed up and did their part, and, uh, and so did the team. All right, Will, so going back to your review article, you know, if we go back to last week, in your review article versus Mississippi State, you made sure to point out the adjustments that were more the players playing better and not so much schematic adjustments made by the staff. This week versus LSU in your review, you made sure to point out that the substitution adjustments – on both sides of the ball that made some big differences in this game. Yeah, they definitely made some schematic adjustments. You could see that LSU very early on was going after C.J. McWilliams on the outside. Um, that doesn't mean McWilliams is a bad player. It's just sort of a bad matchup for what LSU was trying to do. The other thing is, is I do think that Florida in that first drive especially, but until the polite strip sack on the second drive, was not getting a whole lot of pressure. And LSU was running the ball pretty well too up until that point. Um, after that point, all of a sudden, Burrow was running all over the place and getting hit and, and really didn't have time to deliver the ball. But, you know, the switch of the switch of bringing in Trey Dean for McWilliams made a difference. 
In fact, when they brought in McWilliams in the second half um, for one specific drive to give the DBs a blow, they went right after him again. So that was clearly LSU's game plan going in on the on the offensive side of the ball was to attack him, attack one-on-one coverage, and go after um, go to their wide receiver Jefferson whenever they had an opportunity to get him one-on-one. The problem was is that when when C.J. Henderson was on him he didn't get open. And so there, were, there was a play I diagrammed in the article where Burrow threw a really nice pass actually, but it was, it was disrupted by the defensive back, um, CJ Henderson breaking it apart. And then on the offensive side of the ball, we saw a lot of Brett Heggie. We saw a lot of him at right guard. Um, there was a lot of switching back and forth between him and Frederick Johnson. Um, you know, Johnson was in there for a few plays where he played really, really well in pass protection, but in plays where they needed the agility of the offensive line, it looked like that's when they had Heggy in there. So um, the little pitch plays to P Ryan that were really successful. Johnson was in for one of those, but Heggy was in for the other two. Um, the last drive, Heggy was in there for the entire last drive. He was the guy who was really sort of, um, anchoring that offensive line for some of those plays on that final drive. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's there's been some talk that he might be taking over. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I think there's much more of a rotation, much more depth there, and you can see some benefits that you got from having Heggie on the offensive line. Yeah, those two, you know, being substituted in, of course, it made the difference of, and, you know, the theme of the podcast yesterday and the theme of the episode, and you just keep going back and looking at it, Olivia, it was – no matter what LSU threw at Florida, there was always a response. Yeah, it really was. And I feel like a lot of it had to do with the whole DBU thing. I mean, Florida, those guys, I mean, the whole week there, DBU, DBU, DBU. I mean, they came in they came in ready to go up against LSU. And um, I don't remember who said it, but they were talking about, like, the differences between Joe Burrow and Felipe Franks. And I kind of originally going in was thinking that, you know, I'm thinking that this Felipe Franks is the same as last year's Felipe Franks, and Joe Burrow is the same one that got recruited by Ohio State. So I was expecting so much more from Burrow. And, you know, when they made that that drive, what was it, like 20 seconds into the game? I don't remember. It was something really, really quick. I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is going to be a blowout. Felipe is going to shut down. Just everything's going to go bad. The offensive line isn't very good, whatever. But I feel like once Florida got going, again, thanks to Mullen, like, and Nick Savage really just like pounding effort into these guys, a whole relentless effort is really starting to make an impact for the Gators. Um Exactly. Like every time LSU had something good, I mean, Nick Rosette was really good. Florida was right back on there. Defense, offense, but more defense. Yeah, Olivia, in your LSU preview last week that you put up on Read and Reaction, you made sure to point out the DBU debate. And it's something we hear every time these two teams match up. And you made the point it doesn't matter who claim who claims that coming in, but who left the game with that title. And, well, Florida earned that in a big way against LSU. I agree. I mean, I feel like, with a title like that, it really just goes off from year to year. Like I said, I mean, Vernon Hargraves, Tyron Matthew, whatever, like they're great players, but what does that have to do with this year? What does it have to do with now? What does it have to do with Dave Aranda? What does it have to do with Todd Grantham? It has nothing to do with any of it. Just whoever plays the best in that game goes away with the title. And I feel like between your CJ Henderson's, your Brad Stewart, your Sean Joseph's, the Florida defense just, I mean, I'm not going to say they made LSU look like a JV team because they didn't. But they definitely, I mean, Florida definitely came out on top. And Will, you made sure to point out the, you know, one big substitution there. Uh, and then, but then, you know, it was still just, it, 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 
you know, Donovan Steiner, you know, credit to him. This is two weeks in a row now, game ceiling play. You know, a player we weren't, you know, talking much of when we were, we were season preview after season preview, preview magazine after preview magazine, or whatever TV show was previewing in Florida. You know, he was a name you didn't hear a lot in these last two weeks and two Florida in, in Florida's two biggest games. He's the guy that's got the last laugh on defense. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been an effective starter this year. He's really been able to um, sort of, I guess, settle down the defense at that position. I mean, last year, the safeties, um, you know, were, were an area of concern, especially after Washington went out with the injury. And then Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who was who was sort of forced to come into an enforcer role. And that's kind of what Steiner's been doing, really, when you think about the when you think about the final play against Mississippi State. And you think about sort of what he's been doing, allowing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson to roam free. Um, from a defensive back perspective, you know, I mean, Burrow played really well in the first half, actually, and in the first mm-hmm. quarter, especially. I mean, averaged 11 yards per throw in that first quarter, drove him right down the field twice, you know, just lost the ball on the strip sack. And otherwise, I mean, you know, LSU's up at least 10 nothing, and the way it was looking, quite possibly 14, if Polite doesn't make that play. Um, you know, they averaged seven yards a pass in the second quarter. So, again, decent, but not not fantastic. And then 4.4 in the third and 2.4 in the fourth. And so as LSU had to throw the ball, Florida's defensive ends were able to pin their ears back. And it became pretty clear, and they pointed out on the broadcast, too, that, that LSU just did not have an answer for Florida's two defensive ends. That when they chipped on one side, the other guy got there. And when they chipped on the other side, <laughs> the, the guy on the other side got there. So, I um, mean, you know, if you can't run the ball and you can't protect and you can't protect around the ends, it's gonna be a long day for the quarterback. It certainly was for Burrow, and he got outplayed by Franks. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was going next. You know, outperform Franks, outperform Burrow when it was all said and done. You know, and a lot of talk on this show, Will. I mean, a lot of it. You know, when Burrow was available, you know, should Florida go after him? Should Florida not go after him? Uh, ultimately, the right call uh, call was made here, and you know Felipe Franks is playing very well. And you know, just really the the whole talk of what we spent a lot of time on culminated this past Saturday with with Burrow uh, coming to Gainesville, and you know when he gets here, he's being pressured time after time, sacked all game, uh, and then the, it was the two critical mistakes at the end. You know, and um, we talked about you know what could have happened you know, if LSU scores also in that. Um, uh, to make it either ten nothing, fourteen nothing, but also after this, after halftime, and Florida's going to drive after a long pass to, to Hammond. There, you know, Frank's does a, a really ill-advised uh, interception there in the end zone, but that puts Florida maybe up twenty-one to ten. And those two critical mistakes that we saw at the end of the game may have happened sooner because it's twenty-one ten, and LSU maybe you know they start pressing, start putting the game on Burrow's shoulder, and all that you know those what we saw the last two drives of the game maybe we see a lot sooner. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I think I think there are a couple things. I mean, obviously, the pick six is a backbreaker and is and is the one that almost put the game away. Though, <laughs> though obviously, you know, last year McIlwain made a big deal about uh, about Malik Davis not going down against Vanderbilt and would have <laughs> would have made the game closer, but would have made it would have made it over <laughs> had Stewart just gone down. I think when you look at the quarterback play, though, really. I mean, so LSU had 71 plays. There were zero sacks, two tackles for loss, and nine quarterback hurries. So Franks was hurried a little bit, but he didn't get hit. Now, some of that is on him being able to get rid of the ball. I mean, there was one play I remember where the where the linebacker just sort of bounced off of him, and he threw it out of bounds. You look at Burrow, 75 plays, five sacks for Florida, 11 tackles for loss, and eight quarterback hurries. So not only was he hurried as much as Franks, but he was also taken down, 11 tackles for loss, 
Um, you know, so that means they got the running back behind the line of scrimmage six times, got him behind schedule. You know, the Florida defensive line really dominated, especially from the second through the fourth quarters. And then the offensive line also really took control. I think when you looked in that fourth quarter, one of the things on the rewatch that really struck me was how often Florida was going downfield. I mean, they had decided that that was where they had an advantage. You know, so the play that Grimes almost pulled in on the sideline, the play to Van Jefferson on second down to sort of open up that that game-winning drive, the play to Hammond at the end of the second quarter and the play to Hammond, you know, start the third quarter. Um, those were plays that LSU couldn't have run if they'd have wanted to because they weren't able to get the ball off. Yeah, really, Olivia. I mean, Will brought it up, but this offensive line, I mean, honestly – it's, you know, yeah, they didn't play their best game. Franks was pressured first half of the game, but still giving up no sacks, especially against an LSU defense that is pretty much known for a lot of pressure, much like this Florida defense is, comes out, no sacks on Felipe Franks, and uh, all in all, just helped him have a good game. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that the offensive line is one of, if not the weakest position for the Gators. Um, I mean, you know, you got you got Mike Josiah, you got Brett Heggie, and that's it. Kind of. I mean, you know, the other ones, like, they come and go in spurts, but it's basically those two anchoring the line. But um, back to the offensive line, I was in media after the game, and even Dan Mullen, who was on such a high, really, can I say that? Um, <laughs> after beating LSU and seeing Tebow and all the 08 guys and getting this huge win, really, probably the biggest win of his Florida head coaching career so far. Definitely is. But um, he literally said – I'm going to try my best to make this positive when he was asked about the offensive line. I mean, it's no, it's no secret that he's definitely been struggling with those guys, but I think that they have shown improvement. I mean, the no sacks against LSU defense, it's worth noting, but overall Florida's offensive line needs to kind of pick it up to get to where everybody else is. You know, it's, it's funny. I actually thought they played their best game of the year. Now it wasn't perfect. But I thought they played their best game of the year. I, I thought there were there were times where they got beat physically. Mm-hmm. So there was one play in particular on the interception, Dave, where where Johnson got beat, and that's why Franks got drilled. And so mm-hmm. the, it sounded like on the on the discussion today that he was trying to get it out of the end zone, just couldn't get enough oomph on it to get it out of the end zone, and that's why it ended up being an easy yeah, interception. Too, yeah. But 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 that was the guy getting physically beat. That wasn't a guy making a mental mistake and missing his assignment. And there were a couple other plays where Scarlett, you know, there were there were play fakes where Scarlett was able to um, to knock his man out of the way, and that gave Franks the little bit of extra time he needed. There were times where, you know, the the offensive lineman was able to push his man just far enough that Franks could move a little bit outside of the pocket. I mean, I, I don't, you know, we we've talked about this pretty much all year long that the offensive line kind of is what it is. And you can live with the physical mistakes. You can live with getting beat. It's the mental mistakes that kill you. So a couple of false starts. I know he'll probably take umbrage with Martez Ivy in a couple of those false starts. But there wasn't anything backbreaking. There weren't any. There wasn't anything like in the Kentucky game where just you know a guy missed an assignment and Franks got absolutely drilled. Um, there were some times where Franks got hit because they got physically beat. But you know when you play a team like LSU. Sometimes you're going to get physically beat. So I, I was really impressed by the way the offensive line played based on how they've looked really early in the season to where they look now. I think it's been a pretty substantial improvement. Yeah, the, the three points I'll make, I'll make about that. And I think it's, you know, given the circumstances. So that's pretty much, you know, you think you think you said you thought the offensive line played their best game of the season. And I probably will agree with that just because given the circumstances, this is, I know what Kentucky has been doing, but this is still the best defense Florida has played this year. And I know point, point two. Franks is 
stats weren't the best in the in the world, but for what he was asked to do and the plays he was asked to make and when he made them, it was one of his best games. And then the run game, it didn't look like it when I look when I got back in my truck after the game and looked at some stats and saw Florida had 215 yards rushing. I was like, oh, okay. It didn't seem like it, but they did. And you know, going back and looking at it and thinking about it, I was like, yeah, I guess you know, Frank's had a couple big runs here and there, and P Ryan and the and the option with with Frank's, he had some nice chunk yardage, and then um, those tough runs by Jordan Scarlett uh, as well. So when it was all said and done, yeah, you didn't put a ton of points on the board, and yeah. Uh, the stats, you know, not all the stats came together to look like it, but you know, this was one that was more about stats. You know, when you look at the circumstances, this was a game you go beat this LSU team any way possible. Stats be darned. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you, you get the win. It, that's the biggest deal. Obviously, that builds momentum for the rest of the season, builds a lot of belief in the fan base, and, and builds belief in people like me who've been questioning the program <laughs> all, all season long and, and really have sort of expected um, expected some regression of the mean. I mean, the interesting thing about the team is if you look at the Tennessee game, the defense really played well from a turnover perspective. So they got six turnovers, but they didn't really play very well overall. They gave up, I think, over seven yards of play, or at least seven yards per pass. So through the air, they weren't very good. Against Mississippi State, um, they really stepped up and stopped Fitzgerald from running the ball, but you questioned whether they were going to be able to stop a team that could that could throw through the air. And then they just absolutely dominated LSU up front. And, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, if you can get pressure with your front four, it makes it a lot easier to play coverage. And they had zero problem getting pressure with the front four. And then when they brought the blitz, it just, you know, it LSU didn't know what to do. So, um, you know, very, very impressive win over LSU. Um, I certainly think the defense deserves a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, a lot of credit here. I mean, you know, in the four SEC games, so, you know, you got the, you got the blowout against Tennessee, though, again, the turnover sort of put the ball in Tennessee territory a lot, but then you got 20 points against LSU, 13, um, you know, thir- 13 against Mississippi state and 16 against Kentucky. So against, Against SEC competition, the offense is not putting up 50 points a game, and the defense is the reason Florida's 5-1 and one right now. Uh, yeah, we've got some, uh, a lot of stats that we'll be uh, especially hitting this defense up with and, and, and the tear that they're going on uh, right now. But before we get there, you know, I'll ask you guys, and Olivia, I'll start with you. What does this win mean? You know, and take this where you, where, however you want to go with it, but a you know, big win, top five team, the Swamp was on fire. But ultimately, what do you think this win means for the Gators? Okay, well, something that I've given Mullen a lot of credit for so far is kind of like locking in every week. And some Gator tweeted, like, every week we start 0-0. I feel like that mentality is really taking the Gators far. Um, Obviously, huge win, top five team. Um, I feel like LSU kind of had that top five ranking because they beat Auburn and um, Miami. But neither Auburn or Miami is playing up to the standards that they were maybe given at the beginning of the year in preseason rankings. Uh-oh. The defense is great. The offense getting better and better. But as far as what this means for the program, I feel like it doesn't mean a lot for the program yet, other than the fact that Dan Mullen is making a big impact. But, you know, I wouldn't be saying Florida's back, Florida's back, because they are not going to win a national championship this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You know, I mean, it, it's interesting in that it does get them into the SEC East race, especially with Kentucky losing – against Texas A&M. Now, if Kentucky loses to Georgia and Florida beats Georgia, well, now you've, you're basically the East champion. So, I mean, obviously you got to take care of business against South Carolina, Missouri, and Vandy. But, um, you know, the reality is if you think Florida is good enough to win those games, then 
then the Georgia game becomes really huge <laughs> once they get once they get past Vanderbilt. I think I think you know one of the interesting things though is to go back to and and not to not to rain on everybody's parade here, but to go back to 2015 and look at some of the articles that people wrote about McIlwain at the time and sort of how he was a savior. So Bianchi said after five games, McIlwain's lived up to everything Gator Nation hoped he would be, and then some. In the process, he has exposed just how offensively inept Muschamp and his coaching staff really were. I mean, literally. You could take that word for word, replace Muschamp with McIlwain and McIlwain with Mullen and say the exact same thing after after this set of games. And so I'm incredibly encouraged by the way the team is playing. I think they've played great. I think they played lights out. One thing I would say, though, is that these are these have both been one score games. Right. So the pick six makes it eight points, but um, it, it really could have gone either way. I mean, if Burrow doesn't throw the pick six and one play later hits a 20 yard hits a 20 yard throw. Well, now now LSU's, you know, maybe two plays later is kicking a field goal. So games turn on that. And obviously coaching has a lot to do with that. I mean, you know, McIlwain wasn't able to get those plays to go last year and this year he was. But the two years prior, he won a lot of those one score games. And so um, that's why Florida was, you know, 20 and what, what were they, 20 and and eight in his first two years. So, um, you know, I'm not ready to throw a parade yet, but I am ready to say, Hey, they've played much better than I expected them to. They played really, really well on the defensive side of the ball and they've improved enough offensively that, that they're dangerous against anybody at this point. And so you look at it and say, I think coming into the year, at least most of us thought eight and four was kind of where the team would start. I think I picked them at seven and five. Um, you know, obviously the ceiling is considerably higher than that at this point now. I mean, you look at it and say nine and three would probably be what we would expect with Florida State struggling as much as they are. The idea that Missouri and Vanderbilt and South Carolina are, are sort of picking each other off one by one. And all you really got is the Georgia game left after that. So, um, you know, hey, it, it's <laughs> it could be worse, Dave. We could be uh, we could have the turnover backpack <laughs> or we could have UCLA's head coach. Oh yeah, yeah, that 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 that, that was close. Uh, but yeah, you know, right right now it means you know there's a whole bunch of energy around the program, and there's you know an upward trend, and that, and that's and I think that's what we can look at right now, and you know where it goes from here is is anybody's guess, but you know, go game against Vanderbilt, you know, sets up you get that win, you got a huge game in Jacksonville. Uh, no matter what happens with Georgia and LSU uh, coming up this week, you know that game in Jacksonville is still going to be huge. It still probably will be to determine the the the, the East champion. And uh, you know we'll get a little bit ahead of ourselves, but you you somehow go beat Georgia and follow that up, and then you know you start you you start looking at some big things, you know, and you can't compare it to 2015 and how all that played out. And you know uh, after you know right now in the in the same week i basically i guess you could say after florida beat old miss and everything was exciting there we know it all fell apart a couple of weeks after that with, with will greer and how it all fell apart there so you know, this is more yes this is going to be a different scenario and how it all plays out here uh and that so you know, there's just what's going on now is just a whole lot of energy the fan base is behind this team 100 right now it's something we haven't seen uh, in quite some time, probably since 2015. So we'll see where where that goes too. But there's just a lot of positivity, a lot of energy, a lot of you know mojo going on right now. Going into uh, a Vandy game uh, that you you know you go, you should go and win, and you got to go and win. And it sets up. Uh, I'm ready for this Florida Georgia game already. So I can I can, t- I can tell you that much. <laughs> oh man, well you're from Georgia. That, that you you should be ready for it at this point. Oh, that's true. I'm, I'm ready for that game anyway. <laughs> 
Now, I, I think one thing we'd be remiss, or I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, is is you know the the progress of Felipe Franks and his ability to tune out all the negativity coming into the year. Um, you know, I would say three quarters of the fan base didn't want him to start to start the year just because they wanted something different. And Mullen decided to go with Franks, and I think he's been proven that that was the appropriate decision to make. Now, you know, we all have our opinions about what he should have done, and I think <laughs> I think we're being proven to be wrong as as we as we move forward. And Franks has played really well, and um, you know, he's he's not he's not going to be an All American, but he doesn't need to be with the way the defense is playing. And you know, I think actually the comparison I made in my article, and I think this is probably more apt than 2015, is 2012. So 2012 had a lights-out defense with a game manager at quarterback in Jeff Driscoll. And when you combine when, – when you sort of look at what happened that year, again, sort of one of those freak one-score games against Georgia is what cost him a shot at the national championship. You hope that that sort of – that that's the Kentucky game this year. Yeah. And, and maybe they can pull one out against Georgia and and, uh, and really have a shot. So we'll see. But I, I've been very impressed with Franks. I've been impressed with his ability to come back. Last year after that interception he thrown – he threw it, it. I don't think it would have turned out well, but he was still chucking it down the field. And that's a testament to Mullen. Who's basically told him he's not coming out of the game and he needs to keep playing and he needs to forget it. And, and he's been able to do that. Yeah. You know, we're basically at the halfway point in the season, you know, and going back to the preseason, you're in Dan Mullen's first year. And I said, well, the first year head coach, you're going to have some ups and you're going to have some downs. Some of those ups aren't going to be expected. And that might be what we're seeing now. And some of those downs aren't not, are not going to be what you expect. And maybe that's the Kentucky game as well. You know, the, 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 where the wins and losses have come from is that's pretty much where we, we are surprised right now. We expected to beat Kentucky, but maybe expected to lose Mississippi State or LSU. It's not playing out that way right now. It's completely opposite. We can't write the script for college football. That's why we love it so much. So you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But um, that's just uh, what it means to me right now is just everything's going about as good as it can go. What do you think, Olivia? Oh, um, I definitely agree with you. I think things are going really well. I mean, in my preseason picks, I had them losing to both Mississippi State and LSU just because of the caliber of the program last year where it was at. And kind of back to what Will was saying about the Georgia game, um, I personally am not on the Georgia train yet. I've seen the way Georgia plays. I've seen the way Georgia's been playing, and I just don't think Florida is up to that level yet. But every week I'm seeing SEC quarterback rankings, SEC quarterback rankings, and let's just stick with the East. It's nine times out of 10, Jake from Felipe Franks, Jake, Jake from Felipe Franks. And Jake from was one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NCAA last year. And for Felipe Franks to be behind him in the SEC East is not really something to sneeze at. And he's pretty much ranking within the top five to eight every single week in the SEC. I mean, is he, if he's grazing that kind of upper crust of SEC quarterbacks, then Florida fans should definitely be pretty happy about that. And kind of, oh, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Um, back to Franks and versus from, I think from is going to pull it out over Franks with pretty comparable defenses, pretty comparable running back groups. I don't, I'm not, again, not on the Georgia train yet, but I feel like it will definitely be a game. And if Florida is able to pull it out over Georgia, I wouldn't be totally shocked, but I would be more surprised if Georgia did lose. Um, hmm, what else? What else? At one point, Felipe was actually tied with Tua for the most. Uh, touchdowns in the SEC, which I think is awesome. I mean, two is unstoppable, and Felipe is not. But if he's getting there and if he's kind of receiving that general praise, I think Florida is definitely in a good position. 
All right. So I've teased some good numbers. You know, Will, we know we, we do a whole lot of numbers here on, on this podcast. And, you know, Florida has sent out a ton uh, of defensive numbers of the last few days. And they definitely deserve to be recognized. But they uh, have a few of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a whole ton of them there. So <laughs> uh, before we get there, but uh, a little message from uh, my bookie. So uh, sure, of course, watching football is fun. That's what we all love to do. But it's more entertaining when you have some action on these games. So guys, you've heard me talk about this for weeks, and some of you are still on the sidelines. So whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting with my bookie. If you like to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on right now. you got playoff baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. But my bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. I use them. My friends use them. And my bookie has been in the business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. MyBookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you got to join now because they'll be pulling that offer pretty soon. So log into MyBookie right now and double your money. Use promo code GATERS and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's MyBookie.ag and that's promo code GATERS. You play, you win, you get paid. MyBookie. So we, we, uh, we definitely mentioned earlier the title of DBU, it, uh, it goes around when Florida and LSU play. So, of course, after this game, uh, we're going to you know, look at the stats here for uh, what, what DBU means. And for right now, for Florida, it means they rank sixth nationally in passing defense, and it's just allowing 148.5 yards passing per game. Uh, the Gators are one of nine FBS teams to hold multiple opponents under 100 yards passing this season. Uh, so... Uh, Florida's also right now tied 10th nationally for fewest passing yards uh, or passing plays of 10 plus yards. That's in 33. The Gators are also tied for 14th nationally for the fewest passing plays of 20 plus yards allowed. That's 11. So coming into the season, Will, you know, so we're kind of worried about this Todd Grantham defense, all the blitzing, giving up big plays. And so far that hasn't happened with any kind of consistency. No, I mean, they've given up a few explosive plays, but. You know, one of the things that they haven't done is they haven't broken after they've given up the explosive play. Like, except against Kentucky, those explosive plays haven't gone for touchdowns. A lot of times, you know, they give up a 20 or a 30 yard play, but then the defense is able to hold. The biggest change to me in the in the defense is really if you look at the first four games. So I, I like measuring the explosiveness of a defense by looking at tackles for loss as a ratio of total tackles and then sacks as a ratio of total tackles, and usually somewhere around 3.5% for the sacks ratio and somewhere around 10% for the tackles for loss ratio means you've got a pretty explosive defense. I mean, it's a, it's a defense that gets to the quarterback on a fairly regular basis. For, for the first four games, Florida was at 9.5% on the tackle for loss and 2.8% for the sacks. So much, much lower than you would expect, not really getting into the backfield all that much. And versus Mississippi State and LSU, 12.2% tackle for loss per total tackle. So one out of every eight times the court, you know, uh, the offense runs a play, they get a tackle for loss and they're at 7.1% for sacks. And this is really tied to polite. It's tied to 
Zuniga and it's tied to Joseph. That is where most of that, most of those are coming from. And, uh, you know, those guys have been explosive and that's really been the difference in the games against Mississippi state and LSU is the defensive line dominating, getting into the backfield. You know, one of the things about Grantham is, is if you get to the quarterback, then it's a really, really effective defense. If you can't get to the quarterback, then it leaves your DBs exposed. The DBs haven't been exposed yet. They've gotten to the quarterback, especially the last two games. And so the defense is going to succeed when that happens. You know, we'll see as we, as they move forward. If they come up against a team that can pick up the blitzes, that can give their quarterback time, then we're going to see what the DBs have. But it's just it's night and day compared to the vanilla that we saw last year with Randy Shannon. And, you know, obviously I think the attacking style is something that fits Florida fans and what they want to see and also fits the personnel, obviously quite, quite considerably better than last year's scheme. Yep. And that's where I was going next. So Olivia, I'll let you jump in after this one. Uh, and the, of course the pass rush helps Florida so much. Uh, so picked up in recent weeks and uh, the added pressure has the Gators ranked uh, tied for third nationally in total sacks with 20, tied for 11th in total tackles for loss with 48 this season. In the last two games, 11 sacks, 19 tackles for loss. Uh, also, one of four FBS teams that include East Carolina, Miami, and Oklahoma State that featured three players, Deshaun Joseph, Jacob Polite, Jabari Zuniga, with at least six and a half tackles for loss this season. So, one of four FBS teams that have three players with at least six and a half tackles for loss this season. And keeping the stat going here, LSU in this game, they entered um, this game allowing just 5.2 tackles for loss per game. Florida had seven at halftime and finished with 11. Then prior to that, LSU hadn't allowed 11 tackles for loss since the 2012 BCS National Championship game lost to Alabama and the Gators have 37 tackles for loss in the last four games. I mean, this defense is just, I mean, what were they last year? Like 39th or something this year, they've just been night and day. I definitely agree with that. Um, it said against LSU, Joseph had like 14 tackles. That's a lot for Joseph who kind of came into the season as definitely David Reese's secondary guy, kind of like your secondary linebacker. I remember in the beginning of the season, people were clamoring for Reese to come back. And now it kind of looks like Joseph has not maybe eclipsed him, but is definitely up to his standard. And Polite, I saw something today about how Polite people aren't really, people didn't really know about him until this year. And I feel like a lot of that is chalked up to Mullen and Grantham's defense and playing up the strengths of the players. And Z I mean, Zuniga was definitely one of the bigger guys last year, but he's become one of the biggest guys this year under the Plague up the strengths of the players instead of the strength of maybe what the coach w would like for the players to do. Well, and th they've they've gotten to the point now where the guys are performing in SEC play, and I think that's one of the things we saw last year is against maybe some of the lower tier teams that Florida played. The defense would play pretty well, especially up front, and then when they got into the SEC, they had some issues and didn't necessarily bring the pressure. And the pressure has only increased as they've gotten into these SEC games. So that's been really impressive to see to see these guys really showing up and really, really, you know, positioning themselves to be not just. <laughs> not just all SEC, but I mean, Voshan Joseph's playing like an All-American linebacker, um, playing like he wants to make it to the league next year, and that, that may be what ends up happening if he keeps playing like this. Yeah, we just mentioned a whole lot of names there, so, you know, Florida's also sending out and giving a lot of pubs who Polite and Zuniga, and these guys have combined for 15 tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks this year, uh, one of four FBS duos uh, with at least seven and a half tackles uh, for loss apiece. 
Uh, Polite and Zuniga are tied for second and fifth, respectively, among SEC players in total sacks. Polite, on his own, ranks tied for eighth among all FBS players in sacks. Uh, so Polite is also the sole FBS leader in forced fumbles. And remember the second drive for LSU uh, there, you know, kind of turning the game there early on. He has four this year. Um, Polite entered 2018 with two career forced fumbles. So six career forced fumbles are tied for eighth already in Florida history. And, of course, we mentioned there all this pressure is leading to turnovers. So Gators' 17 takeaways are second nationally behind Kansas right now. They're the only SEC team with more than 13 takeaways. So, uh, so you know, you just got kind of creating some separation there. Uh, 17 takeaways right now. Florida had 17 takeaways all of last season, which was tied for 81st nationally, tied for second nationally right now. Gators have scored 50 points off of turnovers, only total 44 points off of turnovers last year. And their ability to force turnovers this year has it ranked second nationally in turnover margin, plus 11. Only Kansas, plus 13, has a better margin. And Florida is one of only nine FBS teams with a margin of plus seven. And, of course, fumbles have been the primary source of takeaways. And it's 11 fumble recoveries lead the uh, lead college football uh, FBS by three. And it's nine forced fumbles are tied for eighth. So, Will, you know, if we look at this, and you and I've talked about it a good bit, you know, fumbles are, are mostly considered luck. But with all the pressure Florida's bringing and everybody chasing to the ball, some of that, you know, when you, you get so many guys chasing and going to the ball, at least, you know, maybe forcing the fumble might be a little bit of luck. But when you chase the play, you chase down plays the way these guys are, that's where you can start getting fumble recoveries. Yeah, I'm not sure creating fumbles is luck. I think recovering them is luck. So, you know, Burrow got stripped the other day and it goes right to the other defensive lineman. I mean, it just fell right into his lap, right? And again, usually that ball sort of bounces around for a little bit and everybody's got a shot and it's about a 50-50 shot to get it. The other day, the one that polite, you know, when he stripped Burrow, it went right to the Florida defender. Um, that doesn't mean they didn't earn it. I mean, you know, they polite came behind him and hit him and the LSU's offensive line isn't necessarily looking for the fumble. And, you know, Florida gets the fumble and, and, and they earned that. I would say that, you know, I think some of the development that we've seen with Polite and Zuniga is tied to CeCe Jefferson coming back. Um, you know, to have those three guys on the field at the same time means you can't double all three of them, which means somebody's going to come free. And Jefferson hasn't had a huge game yet. But I think it's probably coming as more and more attention goes out to those other guys. And I think you can say the same thing at linebacker with Joseph, uh, you know, who's really, really taken a step forward with David Reese coming back and having him to help. So it, it all works in tandem. It's all, it's all, uh, it's all interrelated. And and certainly, I, I think the turnovers, you know, the six turnovers they got against Tennessee probably aren't going to happen again. Um, it was good to see them get some interceptions, though, because interceptions typically have more to do with with inherent skill than fumble recoveries. So, you know, the the more and more they can the, the more and more they can rely on those skills, the better off they're going to be. But I mean, the reality is, if you're hitting the quarterback 14, 15, 16 times a game, at some point the ball is going to get loose. And you know, Florida's been fortunate to recover a high percentage of those up until this point. I don't think the fumbles are going to stop. I just think what will end up happening is they'll probably end up recovering a uh, a smaller percentage. Olivia, we didn't know what to really expect of Todd Grantham coming into this season. Definitely got disheartened a little bit at the Kentucky loss, but since then this defense has been on fire. I definitely agree. I mean, I've always been a big fan of Florida's defense, even last year and even my freshman year under McElwain and Randy Shannon, who, as you guys said before, was pretty vanilla. 
But this year, I mean, you know, the Kentucky loss was a little disheartening, and there were definitely opportunities that the defense had to make plays, and they didn't. But I feel like a lot of that can be chalked up to the absence of David Reese, whereas when he's back, he's a natural team leader. I mean, whenever he's on the field, the defense kind of looks to him. I mean, they're always kind of making sure he's around. And with him back, with CeCe Jefferson back, as Will said, with kind of those, like, anchors, I guess, of the defense back, Florida is kind of unstoppable on D. I mean, you know, those interceptions, we've had a bunch of interceptions this season, tons and tons of fumbles, and kind of like I agree with Will, um, against kind of like these more heavyweight teams like Georgia, they're not going to have six turnovers. I mean, Georgia is not Tennessee and vice versa. But I feel like Todd Grantham is doing a great job. So, Will, Vanderbilt coming up. We don't know, uh, you know, how this Gator team will respond. You had three straight big-time emotional games, Tennessee, Mississippi State, LSU, and now you get the the, the, the dreaded noon game. You don't know what to expect, uh, you know, because you, you, I mean, you were getting up for these games. You had the Tennessee game where people were you – go, you had to go to Knoxville, your first road game. People didn't know how Felipe Franks and this offense was going to respond. You come out of that, six turnovers, blow them out. Mississippi State on the road again, second straight week, all the emotion of Dan Mullen returning to Starkville, come out of that with a W. Then you got top five LSU, the, 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 the push to get the Swamp back to what we've known the Swamp to be, and you beat a top five team. And now you get a noon game against Vanderbilt to follow all that up. So you know, the, I think the most important part is Florida should go ahead and, and go win this game. But you know, how did they respond after the emotion of three weeks, and now you got to go to Vandy? Well, they better win this game because if I happen to pick them and they lose, I'm never going to hear the end of it. I might have to shut the site down. <laughs> but but no, I, I think at the end of the day, the the upsets usually come down to come down to more of the skill players than anything else. And Vanderbilt, to be quite honest, doesn't have a whole lot of skill players. Um, at least nobody who's going to scare the guys on Florida. And if you look at Shermer from last year to this year, he's almost the exact same quarterback. So, you know, last year, 58% completion this year, 60% last year, 7.4 yards per attempt this year, 7.5 last year, 2.6 touchdown interception ratio this year, 2.3. So the quarterback play at Vanderbilt hasn't gotten any better. And consequently the, the record at Vanderbilt isn't, isn't that much better. I think they caught Notre Dame at a time when, um, when Notre Dame was still sort of going between Wimbush and Book and trying to decide who was going to be the quarterback there, Notre Dame has decided on the other quarterback, which I think is a reflection on on Wimbush's performance against teams like Vanderbilt and, and their ilk. So, I mean, it, yes, the noon game, particularly in Nashville and 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 all that sort of stuff. After all this, knowing you got a bye week coming up, and you know, I can see Florida coming out flat in the first half, but I, I don't know that Vanderbilt has enough to really be able to hold up. I, I think this is one of those games where we'll know really early on, though, whether Florida has come focused because the offensive line should be able to establish something up front, especially after some of the, w- the way they've played the last two weeks. You would expect them to be able to really establish the running game against Missouri and be able to knock them back a little bit. And if Missouri's shooting gaps and getting tackles for loss early on, then it could be much, much closer than people think. But I think at the end of the day, if you look at Shermer and you look at Franks, I think, you know, Florida has the advantage of quarterback, and that's not something that I would have said three, four, five weeks ago. But I think I think we can say that now. And then you you look at all the other skill positions. I think Florida definitely has the advantage. And really, the thing that's been holding Florida back really for the past decade is quarterback play. 
And when they've had a game manager, like I said, in 2012 with Driscoll, they were able to win. And before Greer got suspended, they were able to win when they've had a quarterback back there. He's played pretty well. So, um, you know, like I said, I think up front will be the thing that we'll be able to see early on. And if Florida's winning the line of scrimmage early on, then it's not going to be very close. Yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit of a dead atmosphere uh, up there. Cause, but, you know, there'll probably still be more Gator fans in the stands than Vandy fans. This is kind of how it turns out when, when, when Florida travels to Nashville. So, Olivia, you mentioned earlier, you know, that uh, Vandy, yeah, they played Notre Dame, played Notre Dame tough. But since then, it's kind of been a rough go. Um, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, I mean, is kind of on the way to an undefeated season. But against Vandy, they did have some trouble. But I feel like kind of like what Will said, it's more attributable to Vandy, that it, I mean, excuse me, to Notre Dame than it is to Vandy. And I agree with everything you've said, except for one thing. I think that because Florida is going into the bye week ahead of Georgia, because Florida has a noon game, they're going to come out as hard as ever. I mean, I think that, again, something – I mean, I, I love Dan Mullen. I love him. But I think something, again, about Dan Mullen is that he just instills in these guys. Like, every game matters. I mean, you see Florida against, these, like, more, like, cupcakey teams, and they're just showing out. Like, they're playing in the SEC. And – a Vandy is a formidable opponent, but they're not that formidable of an opponent. And I think that they're going to use this opportunity to kind of show Georgia what they're made of, show Kentucky even what they're made of. And they're going to come out and they're going to be strong and the defense is going to be good and Felipe Frank is going to be good and the running back is going to be good and the receivers are going to be good. And it's just going to be pretty hype. I mean, in Gainesville, it'll definitely be pretty hype because everyone's going to be watching them this week after the fallout from LSU. But and they're gonna want the fans to notice. I mean, it, in my opinion, it was kind of embarrassing when people were constantly tweeting, "Pack the swamp, pack the swamp, pack the swamp" against LSU. I mean, you're facing a fifth-ranked team. Why wouldn't the swamp be packed? I mean, and they just crave that validation so much that if they're and something that I everyone is hesitant to kind of like root for the Gators. I mean, everyone was so happy after LSU. I mean, everyone was so happy after Charleston Southern, but after the Gators lost to Kentucky, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, like typical Florida, typical Franks. Like, why are we even rooting for this team anymore? Four and seven, we're going to do it again. So I think that an opportunity like this against Vanderbilt to kind of show what they're made of and what they have been made of this season is an opportunity to show the fans, the coaching staff, maybe even last coaching staff, I don't know, and Georgia especially, what they are capable of doing. Yeah, I think well, it will be go, go ahead, Will. Well, I was going to say, as someone who was there during the transition from Spurrier to the Ron Zook era, I can completely understand fans who say we want to we want to see you prove it after the after the loss to Kentucky. I mean, that was a the Kentucky loss. I mean, obviously, Kentucky looks like they're a lot better than they were or than we would have thought earlier in the year. I think I think we picked them last in the, in the East there, Dave. I know, but, <laughs> but but you know that was one of those where you're like, ooh, that's kind of a Zookie and loss right there, and uh, you know. Mullen certainly righted the ship and, and you know earlier in the year I was a little bit hard on Mullen about some comments that he made during uh, dur- during some of his initial um, discussions with with Gator fans and sort of saying that Gator fans needed to show up before the wins well now he's won and so Florida fans need to show up and they need to show up really hardcore for this team because they've done everything they can and uh, you know he's he's won the games he in even some games he shouldn't have won and so hopefully we'll see that the fans support him at that point. Yeah, talking talking about support, you know, Florida's going to get more this week than they've had uh, in quite some time. Uh, so, you know, that's another thing they'll kind of have to weather is everybody's talking good about Florida right now. And you, you turn on SEC Network and you turn on ESPN Radio and you turn on the, some of these other college football shows and talk about how good Florida looked again. Well, you know what? 
the, the program itself is used to that, but these players are not used to that. So, you know, they're going to have to turn around and get pat on the back. But, you know, go in there. You just you, you, This was Monday when we record this episode. You know, they will have practice. And I'm sure, you know, Mullen and, and Hevesy and, and those guys will, will, will instill in them, you know, this, we're only halfway. And that, that's all it is right now. You got to go get another, another road victory. You got a big game against Georgia coming up. So, you know, it's uh, let's go into this bye week. Let's go get healthy. Let's get some things together. Uh, but we get that starts with going to go beat Vanderbilt. So, you know, don't, don't rest on your laurels by beating top five LSU. You got to go out there and follow it up with another win. I agree. Yeah. Go ahead, Olivia. No, you go, you go. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, though, it's it's a it's a noon game, and it's in Nashville, <laughs> and we know that we get nervous for those sorts of things, and and you Even know some of the best Florida teams have struggled in Nashville. <laughs> well, you know, Nashville does have some pretty good nightlife, so hopefully they've got an early an early curfew and they're getting them in. I love Nashville; that's a great place. But uh, you know, I in some ways I think it's actually a good thing that they're on the road because they will be out as a team. They will have curfews. They will do all sorts of stuff like that. You know, being in Gainesville, if it were a noon game might actually be a more of a distraction because you got all your friends, you got all the stuff you're doing. Um, you know, you, you're sort of familiar with, with sort of your pattern and, and, and I mean, you're comfortable in that setting and maybe going to Nashville gets you a little bit uncomfortable just because, again, it is it is a road game. It is different. And certainly I'm sure Mullen's going to be challenging his players to make a statement, you know, that that everybody on uh, every, everybody on ESPN pretty much picked LSU this past week and Florida came out and won the game. Well, you know, show them that that wasn't a fluke. Come out and win this one big. And so I'm sure that'll be the mindset for Mullen going in and we'll see whether he can execute. And I think another reason why Florida is going to come out swinging this uh, game is because since they hired Mullen, nobody's been able to shut out, shut up about going to Atlanta. I mean, SEC championship, SEC championship, SEC championship. And will they make the SEC championship? I don't know. I don't think they're going to be Georgia. I don't think they're going to I mean, maybe Kentucky, but maybe they'll be second. But I feel like they're not going to screw up the opportunity to go to the SEC championship after beating Mississippi State, after beating LSU, just to lose out to Vanderbilt and then be third in the East and then just not worry about anything for Mullen's first year. And I feel like the guys really love Mullen and they love each other for the most part. So as a team, they're going to want to get there. They're going to want to do it for Mullen. They're going to want to do it for the seniors. They want to do it for the juniors who are out this year. They're going to want to show out. And Vanderbilt is not the game to lose. It's just not. Yeah, I mean, expectations are uh, turning around right now, so that's uh, that's part of it. And uh, hey, that's part of being a Gator too. I think they're uh, getting that mindset, and, and the coaches are instilling it there. So, all right, guys, uh, reading reaction, Will Olivia, what y'all got coming up this week? Yeah, so we're gonna have so Olivia's got a preview coming up this week on on uh, or I'm sorry, she's got a review of the game from uh, from LSU. Going to be focusing on Frank's a little bit, I think, and then uh, certainly we'll both have previews for Vanderbilt coming up. Um, you know, sort of looking at that game, the keys to the game. Um, I'll probably have a film breakdown looking at uh, looking at how Florida can attack and maybe where we can see the offense really take the next step forward for Florida. Yeah, um, I do have a recap coming out kind of about how Gator Nation needs to stand behind Felipe Franks because he's not the best quarterback in the NCAA. He's not the best quarterback in the SEC. He might not even be the best quarterback in the SEC, but he's good enough and he's improving and he's doing what Gator fans wanted him to do last season. And if this is not good enough, then you're not really a Gator fan. I mean, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And my preview for 
Vandy is a bit of a surprise, but if you want to read it, you can. So, <laughs> Olivia, thanks for uh, giving us the, uh, the 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 student perspective and uh, also the the the, uh, the analysis perspective of uh, what to look for uh, in this in the uh, Gators win over LSU, and uh, we'll be looking for that uh, Vandy preview. Thank you. I had a great time. Nerve wracking, but really exciting. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me on. No problem. Will, anything else? No, nah, man. Just, hey, I, I guess I, I do have to give my mea culpa on Burrow, right? So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so <laughs> nobody's going to let me get away with that without, without saying something about Burrow. So, um, you know, hey, I was wrong, right? He came in, I thought he was going to play really well, and he didn't. And, you know, you can say that that had something to do with the, uh, with the sacks or the hurries or the tackles for loss or any of that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, Florida stuffed him and, and, and you know, in the process, um, you know, ma made a point. And, and I think Florida made a really big point in this game, and, and it was really impressive to see. So, you know, we'll see where we are at the end of the year. I still think Burroughs going to be a pretty good player. But at this point, I think Franks is a pretty good player. And so, um, you know, this is sometimes sometimes you take a big swing and you whiff, <laughs> and I still think LSU's a pretty good team. I think Burrow's going to show it, but uh, you know, it, obviously, I've been singing his praises for a while, and and Frank's outplayed him. And hey, congratulations to him; he he played really well. Yeah, well, with the bye week next week, we might have to go back and look at those over unders a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, the good news is, is you're an optimist, so I think you'll turn out uh, <laughs> turn out a little bit better than I will, though. Uh, you know, hey, I, I still think you're going to lose that on on the uh, on the thousand yard rusher. So at least I got uh, one in my pocket. Yeah, I think I will lose that one. But I think uh, I think the other one was thirty seconds. So I'll probably know that one. <laughs> hey, man, anytime you can give me a hard time, I'm sure the fans will appreciate it. So no, I would want to do that anyway for the the over unders because uh, that was that was that was some good stuff and going back and looking at it. So uh, I think Van Jefferson was another one too about what he would do. So uh, what was it, thirty catches or something like that? Hey man, that's a whole lot more fun than talking about. What, yeah. That's a whole lot more fun than talking about what's going on during the bye. So uh, I, I look <laughs> forward to it. <laughs> all right, all right. So for Will and Olivia, I'm Dave. You can catch me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>